This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, happy Easter and welcome to our FBC family and to everyone else who is joining in. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 on this Easter morning. Romans 8, and we're going to look today at verses 18 through 25. And listen, whatever you're going through today, we want you to know that Jesus is alive and he is Lord, and that trumps everything else that is happening in the world or in any of our lives. And I want to speak to you today on the subject, COVID-19 and the renewal of all creation. Romans 8, and let's begin at verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. One of our family's favorite places to visit is in Highland County, Virginia, which is an appropriate name because it is high land, at least for the eastern part of the United States. And the drive there, especially the last part of it, is is absolutely beautiful, but it is the curviest road I have ever driven on in my entire life. I mean, we are talking about hairpin turns where you just kind of like double back as you work your way up the the mountain and you have to pay very close attention to what you're doing. It's a two-lane road and so there are cars that are coming towards you that are also making hairpin turns and oh yeah, there's the side of the mountain that you don't want to drive off. So you, the driver has to pay close attention. Well, one day I was making this drive and just out of the corner of my eye, I saw a sign that said viewing. And so I pulled off to the side and we got out of the car and there was just one of the most majestic sweeping views that I have ever seen in my life of the valley below and the mountains just surrounding. It was glorious. That's kind of the view that we get in this particular passage. It is just a majestic, sweeping view of God's salvation. You know, sometimes when we think about salvation or when we think about the resurrection, we can just think about kind of what it means for each one of us. But we need to also take just that broad sweeping view like this passage does and see what it means for all creation. And especially in these days when we see such brokenness 
in the world. This pandemic has brought home to us that, that the world in its present condition is not the world that God originally designed. There's a, there's a brokenness. There is a dysfunction. There is literally a disease in creation. But what this passage is telling us is that because of the resurrection of Christ, it is not always going to be so. God's creation was originally perfect, and it's going to be perfect again. And not only that, but our bodies, which are now perishable bodies that are subject to things like disease and decay. They are not going to be like that because our risen Lord is going to return. And when he does, we are going to get imperishable bodies like the one that Jesus walked out of that tomb with on the first Easter morning. Let's talk about this passage. What do we see here? First of all, we see reality and hope. We see it in verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So we see two things here in verse 18. We see the reality of life as it is right now, and we see the hope of life as it's going to be when our risen Lord returns. First of all, we see reality. Paul talks about the sufferings of this present time. And when the apostle Paul talked about suffering, he is not speaking from an ivory tower. He knew suffering. This man had been imprisoned multiple times for the gospel. He had been beaten multiple times with whips and with rods. And one time people tried to murder him by picking up rocks and trying to stone him. And he had known deprivation. He had known what it was like to be without food and without clothing and without shelter. The man new suffering and it's encouraging to us to look to brothers and sisters like him that have gone through just deep times of adversity and pain but have done that with the triumphant joy of the spirit of God it's 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 encouraging for us to look at the persecuted church around the world today and to, and to see that. But listen, it is so ultimately encouraging to understand that we have a God who has come to us, who, who knows what we're, we're going through when we suffer. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, which is a prophecy about Jesus, says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. During these trying times, it is so important for us to understand that we have a God who is not distant and removed from our sufferings. He is a God who has come to us, and he is a God who is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus captures the, the dimension of, of the reality of suffering in this world and the hope that is coming when he says in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Yes, he has. Our king is risen and he is returning. 
And because of that, we have hope. Paul says here in verse 18 that I consider the sufferings of this present time. You know what that means? There's another time that is coming. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That is our hope. You know, this week we, we saw the super moon. I, I had read about it, that it, it was coming. I think it was Tuesday night, but I, then I'd kind of forgotten about it. But Wednesday morning, I got up very, very early. It was still pitch dark outside, and I got a cup of coffee, and I, I, I sat down and uh, the moonlight was just streaming into the room and I looked out and then I remembered and there it was that that glorious moon but it was partially veiled by some, the branches of some trees but the light was shining through that's kind of the way it is during this time with the glory of God we get glimpses of the glory of God but when Christ returns his glory is going to be completely revealed and unveiled for us. And there are going to be no more mysterious viruses, no more cancer, no more Alzheimer's, no more aging, no more wars, no more violence, no more disease, no more suffering, no more sin, no more death, no more tears. As J.R.R. Tolkien says, everything sad is going to come untrue when our risen Lord returns and he renews his creation. In fact, when that happens, the, if, you, if you could take all of the weight of the troubles of this life and you were just to put them all together, they would seem tiny and light in comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed on that day. The Bible says at 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Praise God. That is our future as believers. Reality and hope. Second, waiting with anticipation. Uh, look in your Bibles at verse 19. He says, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. You know, on that day, not only is Christ going to be revealed, but those who truly belong to him are also going to be revealed on that day. Listen, do, do you know him? Have you trusted in Christ as your savior and Lord? Are you ready for that day? It could be any day. Will you be one of those that is going to be revealed as being a child of God on that day? You can be. Turn to Christ. Trust him today and you'll be ready. Verses 20 and, and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Notice here that he talks about words like futility and decay that that describe 
creation in its present marred condition. That was not the world that God designed. That's not the world of Genesis 1 and 2 that God pronounced very good. That's, that's the world of Genesis 3. After sin enters the world, we are living in a, a Genesis 3 world that is, is marred by sin. But listen, God did not give up on his sin-sick world. No, he did not. And even in Genesis 3, we have the, the, the promise there, uh, the promise of Christ that uh, Satan will bruise his heel, but he will crush Satan's head. Yes, that is that happened at the resurrection of Christ and it will be fulfilled at the return of, of Christ. You know, we also see allusions here in these verses to the, to the Passover. We see bondage and yet we see freedom. That's, that's the image of Passover in the Old Testament. What happened at Passover? So God's children were, were in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves, but God set them free from their bondage. And how did he do it? He told them to take the blood of lambs, the Passover lambs, and take the, the blood of those sacrifices and to, to put them on the doorposts of their houses and the death angel would pass over them so that they could be set free and so that they could, could enter the promised land. Listen, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says the, that our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus, has been sacrificed. All of those Passover lambs pointed to the ultimate lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The ultimate Passover lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. And he is risen from the dead so that we can be liberated from bondage. And we are on our way to the promised land. We're in the wilderness right now. But listen, we're not going to remain here. We are on our way to a whole new world. We're on our way to the promised land. We see illusions of that here so clearly. Let's look at verse 22. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. I've been blessed to be uh, in the room when, when three precious children were, were born and the miracle of birth is mind boggling. And what moms go through during labor, uh, they're absolutely uh, uh, amazing. There is no man who can say, uh, we, we feel your pain because we don't have a clue um, what these, these moms are, are going through. But all of us, can, can feel the pain and the groaning that comes with doing life in this fallen world. There's pain in this life. There's groaning in this life. Charles Spurgeon was a great British pastor who pastored in London in the 1800s. And he knew a lot about pain. He dealt with depression. He dealt with gout. Uh, there was once a, a fire in his church and some people were killed in that. And he also pastored during the cholera 
epidemic, the pandemic in the 19th century. And many people in London died of, of, of cholera during that time. And Spurgeon preached a, a sermon on this passage about the, the groaning of creation in its present condition. I'll read you just a, just a little tiny bit of what he said in that. He said, the creation is fair and beautiful, even in its present condition. I have no sympathy with those who cannot enjoy the beauties of nature. Climbing the lofty Alps or wandering through the charming valley, skimming the blue sea, we have felt that this world, however desecrated by sin, was evidently built to be a temple of God and the grandeur and glory of it plainly declare that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Creation glows with a thousand beauties, even in its present fallen condition. Yet clearly enough, it is not as when it came from the maker's hand. The slime of the serpent is on it all. This is not the world God pronounced to be very good. We hear of tornadoes of earthquakes, of volcanoes, of avalanches. There is sorrow on the sea and there is misery on the land and into the highest palaces as well as the poorest cottages. Death, the insatiable, is shooting its arrows. Oh, listen, even this week, we've, we've heard of this disease decimating poorer communities in in parts of New York City, but we have also heard of this disease making its way into 10 Downing Street in London, the residence of the prime minister of Great Britain. No human being is exempt from the, the groaning, the pain that we experience in, of life in this fallen world. Even believers are, are not exempt from that. He says in verse 23, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Those of us who are in Christ have a foretaste of the future because we have the, the Holy Spirit who gives us hope and who comforts us in the trials of this life. And we look forward to the, the redemption of our bodies. Right now we have redeemed souls, but unredeemed bodies. We, we're doing life in these perishable bodies that are still subject to, to disease and to decay and death. But it will not always be so. <laughs> no. When Christ comes again, we are going to be raised with imperishable, glorified bodies that will not be subject to any of those things. And that is because on the cross, our Lord took our sins on his body. He gave his body for us. And the Bible says that he, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He, he took them on him, himself so that the power could be exhausted. And he rose from the dead and conquered so that one day we too are going to be raised with glorified, imperishable bodies. Oh, how we look forward to that day.
The third thing that we see here is hoping with eager expectation. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Now we see here the relationship between hope and vision, between faith and sight. Right now, we look around, we look at the news and it's just bad news and just things just seem so bleak at times. But we have to look through that to the new world that God is going to bring about. We see through this present time to the new world that God is bringing. That's, that's a vision. Walt Disney was a great visionary. Um, on the day that Disney World opened, it was October 1st, 1971. He was not there. He had passed away, but his widow was there. And as Mrs. Disney and, and uh, one of the executives at Disney looked out over the park on that opening day, you know, this beautiful, this beautiful, expansive uh, park, and they just saw people just uh, having a, a wonderful time there. And, and, and the executive uh, whispered to Mrs. Disney somewhat wistfully, he said, you know, I wish Walt could have seen this. And she said, oh, he did see it. <laughs> That's why it's here. You see, back in, the, back in the 60s, when other people would fly over central Florida, all they would see was just, you know, wilderness and, and swamps and orange groves. When Walt Disney flew over central Florida, he saw Disney World. <laughs> One of the reasons why that place has such a, a magic is that it taps into something deep within us. And that is our, our yearning for a different kind of world, right? There's even a castle <laughs> in the middle of, of Disney World and, and, and Disneyland. It, it, it taps into a deep, deep longing that we have for a different kind of world than the one we live in, a world that is, is right Listen, <laughs> our king is coming. We pray in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is going to be answered. Our king is coming and he is going to set up a kingdom where everything wrong is made right. And the world is the whole creation is as it should be. And if you are in Christ, you'll get to be a part of that forever in an imperishable body. Wow. I heard a commentator on the news this week, and when he signed off of the newscast, he, he, he said, you know, we are one day closer to the end of this ordeal that we're going through. And that's very true. But you know what's even greater? With each passing day, we are one day closer to the greatest thing that is ever going to happen. With each passing day, we are one day closer to the return of our king and this whole creation being made right. 
Verse 25. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. COVID-19 is, is peaking this week, and we've seen more deaths, especially in New York City, than from a disease and what we've seen in our country in, in, in many, many years. But yet, the big picture is that there's, there's some encouraging news and that all the steps that we have been taking as a culture are beginning to pay off and, and the hospitalizations, even in New York, are, are going down. And, and that the curve in parts of the country is, is, is remaining flat. And even in the worst places, not like New York City, it's peaked, but it's, it, the, the curve is beginning to trend downward. That's, that's encouraging that things are... Things are beginning to break. We've got a ways to go, and we still need to be so, so careful, but, but we can see good news on the horizon. That's encouraging that this thing is, is beginning to turn. It's beginning to break. You know, I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Narnia is a place that is, is frozen, locked in ice. It's under the spell of a, of a witch. It's a desolate place where it's always winter, but never Christmas. But then one day, they begin to, to hear a new sound. It's a sound that, that indicates that the ice is melting. And one of, the, one of the characters in the story, Edmund, who has actually been a, a prisoner of, of the witch, begins to hear something. All around them, though out of sight, there were streams chattering, bubbling, splashing, and even in the distance, roaring. And his heart gave a great leap when he realized that the frost was over. But why was it over? It's because Aslan, the lion who represents Christ in the story, Aslan has landed and Aslan is on the move. They say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has happened to you in a dream that someone says something which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing that you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of summer. Oh, the beginning of, of summer and the renewal of spring. You know, I, I don't know about you, but um, <clears throat> there have been a, a day here or there during all this time that we're going through and, and being more isolated from people. 
um, cope pretty well with, with, with that by God's grace. But there's been a time here and there when a, a, day, a day or two where it's been more difficult. But you know, on those days, I don't know about you, but I can go outside <laughs> and I can see the glories of spring and trees budding and beautiful flowers just bursting forth in their color. And I'm reminded of that message of spring that the bleakness of winter does not last forever. There's renewal. There is rebirth. Summer is coming. And listen, just as sure as that is the case, we are coming back. Our, 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 our nation is coming back. The world is coming back. God willing, we're going to come back a lot better, learning from this experience and changed in wonderful ways as, as people. I believe that is happening, that's going to happen. But listen, that's coming. We're going to emerge from this, right? This, this, this crisis is temporary, and the, and the sign of spring is just is, is a sign of that, but there's a, is a deeper sign. You know, they call what we've been going through a pandemic. And they call it a pandemic because, as opposed to just an epidemic. It's a pandemic because it's, it's just, it's spanning the whole world. But COVID-19 is temporary. It is, it is going to one day be a thing of the past, of history. But I'll tell you what's not going to be history, and it's going to last forever. Habakkuk 2.14 says, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Our risen Lord is returning. And he is going to bring about that glorious, renewed creation. And if you know Christ, you are going to be a part of it. He invites you to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this Easter morning. We thank you for the resurrection of Christ, which is a guarantee of his return. And we look forward to the fact that he is going to renew all of creation and that we get to be a part of that. Father, I pray for anyone who is watching this video today who has never turned their life over to the risen Christ. Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you would, would work in their hearts right now to turn from sin and self and turn to Christ and trust in him alone, that you would bring about new birth in their lives, that they can be a part of the reality of the hope that we've been talking about. Father, I pray for believers like myself. Lord, would you do a deep work in our hearts so that we would live in the light of the hope that you have given us in Christ and that we would share that hope with a fallen world that desperately needs to hear that message. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Happy Easter. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your savior? 
If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.